tomorrow morning we will celebrate the long overdue bat mitzvah or benot mitzvah of Yana and Joe. It's long overdue for a number of reasons. One is we were hoping to do it earlier, but because of conflict and schedule and everything last year, we're now doing it now. Secondly, and I think more importantly than that, it is overdue because had these two remarkable women been born half a century earlier, or later I should say, and in North America, they would have been called to Torah as young girls have been called to Torah and to lead the congregation in prayer since the 1970s. The first North American bat mitzvah was held actually in 1922, when Rabbi Mordechai Kaplan, the founder of Reconstructionist Judaism, arranged for his daughter Judith to celebrate becoming a bat mitzvah at a public synagogue ceremony. But it's overdue for a third reason, and it's really the reason of this sermon. Perhaps most significant of all in that women have been trying to crack the bat mitzvah glass ceiling for more than 100 years before Judith Kaplan ascended the bima and said her version of today I am a fountain pen. That's supposed to be a joke. You know the old line, today I am a man, today I am, okay, nobody laugh. It has taken nearly 150 years of banging our heads in frustration against that glass ceiling before the barrier was shattered and women reading Torah and leading services is no longer a novelty. Though in some circles we know it still is, of course, and it's much more and much worse than a novelty. And I raise all of this history in part to celebrate Joe and Yana and your inspiring achievement, but also to make a larger point. Never in the history of human events have human beings managed to build a wall high enough or strong enough to keep out the flow of ideas. The cause of human rights, the right of self-expression, of freedom of thought, of conscience, and religion will in time, and it can take a long time, I know, persevere and prevail. Martin Luther King Jr. once wrote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. When we are in the midst of the fight, like those in North America who fight for women's rights or racial equality, the acceptance of the LGBTQ community, and so many more, we may feel at times like Sisyphus, pushing a stone up a hill only to have it roll back down upon us. But history has shown that light dispels darkness. History bends towards justice. I remind myself that all of this almost every day, as I read with great despair, and I know you feel this despair as well because I read your emails and your Facebook posts, over the violence that human beings are ravaging upon each other around our globe, particularly now. The entrenchment of our politics, the smallness and pettiness of our grievances, the narrowness of our compassion and empathy. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice, and it is starting to bend. This summer, Yeshivat Maharat, an Orthodox seminary in New York affiliated with a new stream of within Orthodox Judaism called Open Orthodoxy, founded by Rabbi Avi Weiss, ordained Lila Kegedin as a rabbi. 
Lila, who was born in Canada and moved with her family to Ottawa when she was just eight years old, grew up in the Orthodox Day School movement. She has degrees from Hebrew University, University of Toronto, and Harvard. She is a clinical ethicist and a chaplain and sits on ethics committees of major hospitals, hospices, and academic institutions. Now, she's not the first Orthodox woman to be ordained a rabbi. But what makes her story glass-shattering is that a few weeks ago, just at the end of 2015, she was hired by an Orthodox synagogue to serve as their rabbi. And in response to that, the Orthodox movement tried to kick that synagogue out of the Orthodox movement. Graduates of, the, of Yeshivat Maharat, which was founded, as I said, by Rabbi Avi Weiss, have so far avoided taking the title of rabbi for maybe that very reason. Though the school is explicit that its mission is to train female Orthodox clergy, most have taken on the title of Maharat, which is an acronym, actually, that roughly translates into female spiritual leader. But Kagadin made the bold and courageous choice to not hide behind semantics and to proudly call herself what she is, a rabbi in Yisrael, a rabbi of the Jewish people. And in doing so, she not only follows in the footsteps of our own Rabbi Sally Prezan, the first female rabbi ordained by the Reform Movement in 1972, but, and, and which, who put a significant fissure in the rabbinic glass ceiling. But she was also following in the footsteps of another woman rabbi who was ordained 80 years ago last week, long before Sally Prezan. My friend and colleague, Rabbi Jeff Salkin, relates the story of Rabbi Regina Jonas, who was born on August 3, 1902, in Berlin, Germany. At the age of 21, Miss Jonas began teaching in an Orthodox Jewish school in Berlin. In Berlin, she enrolled in the Hochschule für die Wissenschaft des Judentums. Put that on a bumper sticker, it'll take an entire car. The Seminary for Liberal Rabbis and Educators. There she attained the qualification of academic teacher of religion. But Regina Jonas wanted to be ordained as a rabbi. And so to that end, she wrote a thesis. Can a woman be a rabbi according to halakha, to Jewish sources, Jewish legal sources? Her conclusion, based on the Bible, on Talmud, on rabbinic texts, was an unqualified yes. Now, most of her professors supported her, but the esteemed Talmud professor, Hanuch Albeck, flatly stated, I do not ordain girls. Didn't even call her a woman. Regina then turned to Rabbi Leo Beck, the great spiritual leader of German Jewry at the time. Beck was greatly respected, and he greatly respected her. But he, too, refused to ordain her as a rabbi. Beck says that he sensed that there was trouble coming in Germany ahead for the Jewish community, and he didn't want to compromise the unity of the community over this issue. We make some of those same trade-offs today in this community. Ultimately, Regina Jonas turned to Rabbi Dr. Max Deinman, a distinguished liberal rabbi in Offenbach, 
And on December 27th, just a couple of weeks ago now, 1935, he ordained her as a rabbi in Israel. And over six years later, on February 6, 1942, Leo Beck himself signed her certificate of smicha, conferring upon her the title rabbi. Rabbi Jonas found work as a chaplain in various Jewish homes for the aged and the orphaned. And then we know what happened. And then Kristallnacht, November 1938. The Nazis sent many liberal rabbis to concentration camps. Others were able to flee, and Regina Jonas was left behind. And because she was, there was a shortage of rabbis, she was finally able to function as a rabbi. It's really incredible when you think about it. It's incredibly ironic. The Nazi onslaught destroyed countless rabbinates and also created a rabbi. Jonas was ordered into forced labor in a factory, and yet she continued her pastoral work as a rabbi. She continued to teach and to preach. One survivor remembers, wherever and whenever she preached to those who were to perform forced labor, they filled the place to capacity to hear her. And those who did not manage to get in stood at the doorways as far out as on the street to hear her words of Torah. On November 3rd, 1942, Rabbi Jonas was forced to fill out a declaration form by the Nazis. That declaration form listed her property, including all of her books. And two days later, all of her property was confiscated for the betterment of the German Reich. The next day, she was arrested by the Gestapo, and it was November 6, 1942. She was deported to what was then called, and we've referred to it as this model concentration camp of Theresienstadt. And even there, her rabbinate did not end. In fact, her partner in pastoral psychology was the well-known psychologist, Viktor Frankl. Her job was to meet the transports at the railway station, and there she would help people deal with their sense of shock and disorientation. Viktor Frankl wrote a great deal about his experiences during the war. His work with human beings in the camps served as the very centerpiece of his philosophy, and the subject of his masterwork, probably the most important book other than the Torah that I have ever read, Man's Search for Meaning. And yet Viktor Frankl never mentions Regina Jonas in any of his writings, and neither did Leo Beck. It took actually Frankl 50 years to remember her. In 1991, a German-American theologian, Katharina von Kelbach, asked Frankl directly about Regina Jonas. He admitted then that he remembered her as an energetic woman with an impressive and powerful personality. He was even able to recite one of her sermons from memory, though he didn't call her rabbi. This is a section from one of Rabbi Jonas's sermons that she said or delivered in Theresienstadt. So I'm quoting her now. Our Jewish people is sent from God into history as blessed. This means that wherever one steps in every life situation, bestow blessing, goodness, and faithfulness. Bestow humility before God's selflessness, whose devotionful love for his creatures maintains the world. To establish these pillars of the world was and is Israel's task even now. 
Men and women, women and men have undertaken this duty with the same Jewish faithfulness for generations. We are God's servants, and as such, we are moving from earthly to eternal spheres. May all our work which we have tried to perform as God's servants be a blessing for Israel's future and humanity. She delivered that sermon in a concentration camp. For two years, Rabbi Jonas worked tirelessly in Theresienstadt, and finally she was deported to Auschwitz. Her exact date of death is not clear. It was sometime in October, November, or December 1944. She was 42 years old. And now the even deeper tragedy. Go back to the Hochschule in Berlin, her seminary. In 1932, there were 155 students. 27 of them were women. Their names have disappeared. Now, it's true they were probably all studying to be teachers, but like Rabbi Jonas, they might have wanted to become rabbis. We weep for the lives that were lost. We weep for the teaching and the wisdom that was lost as well. And we ask, how do we best honor Rabbi Jonas's memory? We do so by making sure that no women's spiritual gifts will ever be forgotten again or pushed aside as not worthy. We honor her and all the women leaders of our Jewish communities, past and present, by making sure that women are welcomed and celebrated and valued as full and equal members of our community and leaders of our people. Joe and Yana, you stand on the shoulders of women who came before you, and the women who will come after you will stand on your shoulders, and they will reach higher and higher because of you, because of your courage, because of your determination, your undeniable right to stand on this bimah and read from this your Torah that each of you wrote with your own hands not as women or as men, but simply and proudly as Jews. Standing on your shoulders, generations of women, women like you and Rabbi Kagadin, will pound that glass ceiling into dust, and it will be swept away like so many misguided and closed-minded ideas have been swept away throughout time into the dustbin of history. And it will open up, and you will open up roles and possibilities for women in Judaism as numerous as the stars in the heavens and the sands in the sea. This is happening today because of all those that came before you. It's happening today because of you. And God willing, it will happen because of all of those that will be inspired by you and come after you. Can you hear that song? May it be God's will. Amen.